This week we're finishing up our sermon series as we talk about a simple relationship with God, and this is really the culmination of that series as we talk about the most important thing, or the biggest rock in our life, which is a relationship with our Heavenly Father. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, January 24th, 2016. Seems like it's from that 1902, but um, it's a favorite hymn, and if you look it up, it would be an all-time favorite hymn. It's probably top 100, so... The, uh, we're continuing in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, we're continuing our sermon series as we talk about simple, and we're going to end today. So this is, we'll kind of cover where we've been. We've hit a few items. If you could see through the fade, you could see some of the things we talked about. Uh, we talked about your time, and we talked about stuff, and we talked about money. And as we said, the whole point of all this is not that um, you get the most out of your time necessarily. It's First, you have to recognize what the important things are in your life, and then you can get some clarity on other parts of your life. So if you understand uh, what's most important, that determines how you use your time. So if you decide, I think the best thing for me is to spend time with my kids, you're going to use your time differently than burning it on the internet or watching TV, because we talked about that. Five hours a day on TV is average, and two hours a day in uh, internet searching is average. Now you roll over to um, not only your time, but how your money goes, if you decide what's really important to you, it's going to determine how you use your money, right? It's it, and, and someone's described it this way. It's like uh, water flows into you sometimes at a trickle, like money. Money kind of flows into your life sometimes at a trickle, sometimes a lot, and you are just the one who um, gets a chance to use that and make it flow to things that matter. So the question really isn't, do I have enough? And that's what we talked about last week. We do have enough. If you decide that this is what's important, you do have enough money to, I would say, change the world. You have enough money to write injustice. You have enough money to kind of spread the gospel to people who don't know it. But we live kind of in a general idea that we don't have enough time to do the things we think really matter. And we don't have enough money to do the things that we really think matters. And the same thing, sometimes we have this idea that we lack something. So uh, we need more and more stuff. That's kind of the, the direction we were coming from with all these things. And personally, I don't know where it's hit home for you. Sometimes sermon series, it sounds strange when I'm the one who writes them, um, but sometimes they hit me more than I would expect because I got to do a lot of reading outside of normal that I would normally do. So I read a number of books on uh, money, like uh, The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist. Has anyone read that book? Good. So The Soul of Money, that was an interesting book. Then I read, I've told you about two books on organization which everyone makes fun of me, my kids still make fun of me about, which is sparking joy in your life and finding this stuff and where that matters. And all of these things come to a singular point, which is what are your rocks, right? And that's kind of what we came to. So that's kind of the culmination of where we had, I got a picture here that I hope will move at some point. Is that plugged in? The black? Did I do that or did you do that? Okay. All right, so here's our rocks. Here's your stack of rocks. Maybe you have a stack of rocks at home. What we're really trying to determine as we kind of weigh things out are what are the most important things to you, and I think those are generally universal. So I would say, uh, most of us would say the relationships with our family are important. So if you literally had to do it, could you imagine now, now you're doing an exercise, you're at home, you have this stack of rocks, you're going to put it on your porch, and you're going to write down the things that you think are most important. I mean, what would you put? Like if the whole world is going to see these things and you're going to pin it on Pinterest, like, you, you would put, like, family, right? That's everyone. Then you might put, how many of you would put work? Actually, I would put work on, I think, 
it's good to have meaningful work. Otherwise, life is kind of challenging. So I'd you know, put family or kids or friends. Um, you might put health on there. It seems a little vain if you're going to pin it, so I would recommend something else. Um, so you put it on there. Would you put on there like cat videos? Like, no, right? You're not going to put that on there. At least if you're not going to let other people know it, you're not going to put that on there. You're not going to put on like fantasy football it's, it's a long one, so you'd put that on the bottom. Can you imagine that? Like, you're sending this to your kids, and he said, here's my legacy, is that, you know, Megatron won me the Super Bowl this year. You know, you're not going to do that. So the same thing is true. The whole point of our, our series is to say what's most important, and it's since you're here, my guess is a relationship with God, right? And that's kind of where we're going at. We desire this relationship with God. So just like a, a boy desires a relationship with his father, and we all desire a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And there's this yearning inside of human beings. And if you have felt that yearning that says, I would like a relationship with the creator of the world, you're not alone. In fact, when the Bible talks about it, we see terms like this. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. So how often can you think of in Scripture where it uses terms like this? Jesus feeds our need, or the thirst is really, really common. We even had it in the, the psalm of the day, Psalm 63. So we're singing that. What does it say? It says, I thirst for you. So what's the deal with thirst? It's kind of a strange term. I don't picture uh, King David while he wrote the, wrote the psalm, like doing uh, blood tests or something like that. But if you were actually thirsty, that means you're already dehydrated. You ever hear that? And spiritually, I bet that is so true. As you look around the planet and you think about people who are yearning to have this relationship with God, they're kind of already dehydrated. They're already lacking something. Now, there's a term that gets kicked around, that, and I think it's a pretty good term, that says all human beings have a God-shaped hole in their heart. So I couldn't find a good picture of God, so I used a puzzle piece. I should have at least had one with three sides on it, then it would have been triune, but... So every human being has this God-shaped hole in your heart. Originally, this is attributed to Blaise Pascal, but it has this idea that um, we're trying to fill ourselves up with something. And I think that's what makes sense why we stopped and looked at our time, right? You're trying, yearning to fill up your time so that you're satisfied. And you, you try and do things and you try and find experiences and you try and go places to try and fill this up and it never quite does it. Same thing is true with your stuff. How often have you done that? Have you gone to the store and thought, you know what, this is really going to spark joy in my life? And then you purchased it, and you get home, and now it's already in the back of the pile, and you're moving on to something else. So how many things, or you get a new car. Think how exciting the day, isn't it a glorious moment when you, has anyone gotten a brand new vehicle? That's what I tell my wife. We look at them when they're 10 years old, and they come off the, the rack, and I say, 10 years, that can be yours, honey. So, yeah, you get this brand new car, and it's so glorious, or you get something that's brand new, and you, like, it's, everything about it is glorious, but then how long does that last? I mean, if you just got a new car six months ago, how many of you still get in there and go, ah, still got it? I mean, is it, does it last? So stuff does not last and your money does not last either. You're like, because we said that there is no end of the satisfaction of money. You never get to a certain point where you're like, okay, I'm good. As we said, even Rockefeller said a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. What does it tell us? It tells us that there's this hole in our heart we're trying to fill with something else. Um, does anyone know Steve Martin, I would assume, the comedian? So he has a book. It's a really a good book, Born Standing Up. Has anyone read that one? 
I just double check, so if I misquote something, no one knows. So, so this is not an exact quote, but Steve Martin talks about, it's really a fascinating book about his life in stand-up comedy, how you work and work and work, and you test all these routines out, and then suddenly you, like, make it. And he said it's, it's basically all kinds of work followed by wild success, followed by I don't know what to do next. Because you get to this point where you're so successful, you can't even test things. Like, he could go to clubs, and everyone knows. But now imagine, like, if, um, I was going to say Jay Leno, that dated me. Okay, Jimmy Fallon. Just think if Jimmy Fallon comes here, we assume he's super funny all the time, right? Like, there used to be a time where you didn't expect it, and then people are like, huh, that guy's kind of funny. But now if Jimmy Fallon showed up today, I would expect him to be really funny. Because he's always really funny, so it's remarkable, right? So th the same thing is true. So you go through this, and you ride this wave, and it falls down. And I think that's true of, for a lot of things in life. Like you've got onto a wave of something, and it's brought you some joy, and it's brought you some satisfaction, and then sort of that wave has started to fade. How many waves have you ridden? Not just, I mean, uh, and these aren't necessarily bad things. I mean, like the, the wave of parenting, and I'm a parent. I like being a parent. really love being a parent. And, right? and, and you ride the wave of parenting, but then suddenly it's not, it doesn't, it's not all that, right? You know, there's disappointment that comes with it, and there's frustration that comes with it. Or you get a new job, and the new job is great, right? When everything is mysterious, and they're showing you like a closet, and you're like, wow, that's an amazing closet. And then soon it feels like claustrophobic when you're at your workplace, and you can't stand it. I use this term, proprioception. And I jokingly said to Tyler, who's going to school for physical therapy, I'm like, hey, am I saying this right? And he's like, I can't even look at that term outside of school, like this is his refuge. He's like, not at church. I just don't want to hear more about it, right? So all these things sound great. How many waves have you ridden like for hobbies or relationships or stuff or, and then suddenly that wave fades? God comes to you and, and we have this longing to be with God and God comes to us and, uh, and he is the one who fulfills us. So St. Augustine, if you guys know St. Augustine, some people say St. Augustine of Hippo, this is around 400. You've made, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. Our hearts are restless. And if you know the story of August, uh, Augustine or Augustine, so he didn't become a Christian until later on, so his mother was very devout. And he, by all accounts, was like a total womanizer, drinker. You don't usually think, he's called Saint Augustine. I mean, that, that's a good deal, right? I mean, he, he, so he lives it up and then he becomes a saint. So he is known for all kinds of relationships, his parties, and all things like this. So then in the middle, this is his story. So he's hanging out with his friend one night, and I don't know if anything's being taken at this point, but they hear this voice that says, you know, open up and read it. It's this child's voice. Open up and read it, open up and read it. It's like this song. And then he determines in his mind, this must be God communicating to me. It could have been a girl singing, we don't know. This must be God communicating to me. So here's the passage that he read. So now just imagine, you, here's your chance um, you open up the Bible, and you're thinking, what passage would you, would you want to hit on, right? Which one would you want? Like, you've never read the Bible, really. Which passage would you want? I'd want, like, John 3.16, you know, God loves the world, or um, we're going to look at one a little bit later, that in, um, here's how God demonstrates his love for you. In, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the one he got. Uh, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual excess and lust, not in quarreling and jealousy. Rather, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. <laughs> and so, he's so wrought with guilt. Like, he just thinks, I'm going to just open this up, and he happens to hit. There's not a ton of passages. It's not like half the Bible is written about not having affairs, but 
That's the one passage that he's so wrought with guilt that he, he, he pursues. And where he goes it, to be transformed is a guy named Ambrose. If you know Ambrose, who's known to be like this amazing preacher. So he just went for the sake of it. It was like the spectacle of it. Just like, um, I had an example that just popped in my head. Celine Dion. Has anyone seen Celine Dion in concert? No one will admit it. There's no, no guy. Every guy's got his hands. He's like, they, they, won't even, they won't even. So if you go to Vegas, she puts on all kinds of shows. I think she has an amazing voice. Now, that doesn't mean I like any of Celine Dion's music. So the same, that was the same concept. So uh, Augustine goes, he wants to hear Ambrose because he thinks this guy's amazing. But then in the process of it, he starts to be transformed. And he writes this passage. This is after reflecting on his life. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. Our hearts are restless, and this is how it finishes, until they rest in you. Here's the amazing thing. Not only do we long to have this relationship with God, as we talk about this simple thing, we long to have this relationship with God. God longs to have a relationship with you. God is the one who made you. And God says, I desire for you to be part of my life. God says, I want you to know my compassion and my justice and my love. I want you to know what it means to uh, have someone come into your life and care about you. I want you to know peace, that you can look in the mirror and, and know that it's not something lacking in you, right? You ride that wave and suddenly you get introspective and you start taking a look at your life and something's missing. And if, if it's your smarts, we've said before, you're never quite smart enough. If it's your money, you can never be rich enough. If it's your success, you can never be successful enough. If it's parenting, you can never be a good enough parent. All of these just fall to the bottom, and God says, I desire to have a relationship with you. I want you to know me. It doesn't take away all the problems in our life. You know, there's still going to be pain and death, and, and, and even Paul talks about and on every side we're compressed and we're squished, and we, we're, we're, we can't even figure out what's going on. But when you know who God is, when you know where you stand with God, you have some concept of where you are. Proprioception. There, I said it right. So a number of years ago, a number of years ago, I um, got a number of ankle sprains in a row, and I didn't know what the deal was. So you, I'm going to save you the pictures. Ankle sprains are like the ugliest pictures you can get. Like, unless a bone is sticking out, that's a trump card. Like, if you're playing war with gross injuries, like if a bone is sticking out, that one wins every time you get the pile. But ankle sprains and sprains fit up there because it like swells and it turns all purple. Have you ever experienced these? And I've got a number of them in a row and I couldn't figure out what the deal was. So I'd be playing basketball and I would get one and I'd wear ankle braces and that didn't really do it. And so I finally went to a physical therapist and the physical therapist is not, this is not set up for competitive people because they have different color bands. Have you ever been there? Right, they have different color bands, so it's like walls of shame. So any competitive person walks in there, and they just see they start it like clear, and then they have pink, you know. So then your, your first time in there, like, here's the pink band. You're like, Phew. So then he has me do, like, these ankle things. And, you know, of course, you try and do it at top speed, right? Is this anyone else function like this? Or they have you do this? You're like, done. And then he'd look at me. I'm like, you got anything else? Got anything darker? And he's like, I have lavender. I'm like, huh. So they just lure you in so that you have to keep paying until you get to the black band and you feel accomplished. Well, one of the things that was a problem with my ankle was not necessarily that um, it was weak, so it was fine, because I did all these exercises. One of the exercises I had to do, which is 
right here. So one of the exercises I had to do is you stand on this board and then you play catch, right? And you have these visual cues and you throw it. And I, I might be, this is all from memory now. You're playing catch, I'm like, no problem. Give me a heifer medicine ball. Give me the dark one. You know, so we're going back and forth. And then he said, close your eyes and then you had to hold it for like 30 seconds. Then you had to like throw it back with something weird like that. And every time I did it, you can imagine that embarrassing board like making a knocking noise because it couldn't balance. It would go like boom, boom, boom. I'm like, what is the world? So I get off. I'm like, let's reset, reset. Then I get on and then I close my eyes and I, I couldn't do it. And what the problem was, the problem was this, is that my, my balance was just a little bit off that my brain thought my ankle was somewhere else, apparently. Am I saying that right, Vicky? Okay. Vicky is a, uh, <laughs> with skepticism, looking at me. Don't worry, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She's only an occupational therapist at the hospital. <laughs> I, I read Wikipedia, so there's a whole different level of knowledge. So you're lucky I'm sharing my learnings with you. <laughs> so apparently, uh, I feel like I got to backtrack. Okay. So how do, where do you know where you stand with God? And this is the biggest thing that you know. This is the biggest issue when you're talking about a relationship with God is you don't naturally know that. And if I go back one passage, God demonstrates his love for the, us in this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And I think there's an asterisk there. Why do I think there's an asterisk there is because we have trouble believing this. So it's not like you go to the physical therapist one time and you get the pink band and you're done and you're ready to go. They lure you back because your whole brain is off and you have to redo it again and again and again and again until it becomes so natural you're not getting ankle sprains. I don't get ankle sprains anymore. I thought I'd get like an applause or something. But no, no. So, right, right, this is a big deal and I don't have to wear the braces and stuff like that because you made it to a point that your brain knows where you're at. And as a Christian, I wish we could do that like super easily. I wish you could just go to a point where you said, okay, God, I don't have to be filled up with all this other stuff. I'm only complete in you. I wish we could get to a point super easily that we say, hey, God, here's my satisfaction. You know, money is not a big deal. My stuff is not a big deal. That's all in the right perspective. My time, I don't even burn it anymore. I'm just concentrated on the important things in my life. But we just don't get there. So how do you get this relationship? What is the most important? You have to go to a physical therapist to figure out where you stand. That's like the manual. That's like the assessment. So you go to the physical therapist, you do the test, and then they make fun of you secretly. They don't do that publicly. They do that secretly. And then you move on to this point where you have to work in practice. Where does this work as a Christian? I think it works like this. In God's word, in community. Because only in God's word, and that's why we get together, only in God's word do you discover who you really are. That while, and, and I'm going to say that sentence one more time and just take this to heart. While you were still a sinner... Christ died for you. This is the only relationship on the whole planet that functions like this. And our default mode is always saying to ourselves, God is going to love me when? God is going to love me when I do um, unselfish deeds, religious deeds. God is going to love me when I don't think bad thoughts. God has loved me when, when I don't struggle with sin. You know why we struggle with that? Because we tell ourselves the same thing. Like, if you can't accept yourself until a certain point, how can we expect God to love us at that point? If you can't accept yourself until, like, when you become prettier, how can you expect in your mind to think that God is good? When, if you can't accept yourself when I become accessible, then I'm worthwhile. How do you expect God to look at you like that? Well, you can't. I, I'm not going to, I'm not worth something until, 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 until what God has come to say to you. 
is that I have come to bring you life, and not just a little bit, I have come to bring you life to the full. What's the difference between staying alive and living a life to the full? I'd say about 2,000 calories. Like if I had 500 a day, you know, I'd be like wasting away and I'd be like, I couldn't do anything. With enough stuff, you can live your life. And that's what Christ has come to do for you. He's come to fill you up so that you can understand when you step out into the world, it's not when Christ has said, right now, while you're still a sinner, I have come and I brought acceptance to you. Right now, you are worthwhile. Right now, you're okay. Right now, you are forgiven. So that happens. That's like the the physical therapy part. You learn that in Scripture, and here's what you discover. You are way worse than you ever thought or you'll ever admit. But you're more loved than you ever imagined. And you can only find that out in God's Word. That's the only place. And then you figure it out in community which I'll just briefly touch. Why do we hang out as Christians? You could be a Christian on your own. You could have a relationship with God in the mountains. If I retire, if Amy died and I went and lived in the mountains all by myself, how many more depressing statements can I say in a row? Um, right? You could have this relationship with God, but where do you actually put it in practice? I think that's like the physical therapy sessions, not to just add again and again on this thing. But you learn how to live your life as a Christian and find contentment among people. You don't do that by yourself. You learn how to love with people. You learn how to find satisfaction with people. You learn how to handle your anger with people, right? If someone doesn't live with anyone and they're like, I always hold my temper, I'm like, big deal. Wait till you go to the mall. And then, now this is when you've actually done the test, right? You live with people. And you state your goals out loud. I mean, if you go to the physical therapist, you say, here's my goal. I want to make it so I don't get sprained ankles. And then they push you to try and do that. That's essentially what a community of believers does. We say, here's my goal as a group of believers. We want to know what, who I am. I am way worse than I ever imagined, but I am way loved more than I ever dreamed or I ever imagined. And now here's my goal. I want to live my life for Christ. So it's simple, right? Identify your rocks, what really matters in your life. What really matters. If you were going to go back and write on an actual rock and put it on your front porch, what really matters? What really matters is a relationship to God. And when you figure that out, and then you start stacking the rocks, then my family and my friends and meaningful employment or my health and emotional wellness, like all those stack up. All the other stuff is sand. You can get rid of it. And we can build our life on the rock. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so often we are confused. Uh, We don't have a good, clear look of who we are. We think in our minds we're better than we think, but in your word, it makes it very clear we're sinful human beings in need of your love, in need of your care. But at the same time, we recognize, as hard as it is to believe when we look at that, that you love us more than we ever imagined. Help us to recognize that you are a refuge in our strength. Help us to recognize that we cannot be filled except in you. As C.S. Lewis tells us, um, if, if I'm searching and searching and I cannot find satisfaction in this world, it must mean one thing, that satisfaction is, is not going to come in this world, that we are built for another world, and that's so true. You have made us not for this little blip in time here, but you have made us for an eternity. Help us to live our lives in that uh, thankfulness, in that knowing that you have come to make us right with you, and help us live with the vigor to really make a difference with our time and with our money and our stuff, and ultimately grow in a relationship with you in your word, but also in community. We ask this in your name. Amen.